The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game, a show about short video games. My name's Nate Heininger, and I'm joined this week by two fantastic jelly-filled co-hosts. Lauren Ash. And Shane Kelly. And that's more true than you know, because I just ate a cronut. So <laughs> I'm actually jelly-filled at the moment. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, we, we should really work harder to make sure we match our diets to the game that we're covering for the day. Uh, I appreciate your commitment to I just show. always match my diet to this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a, Ash, a, tadpoles, yeah. jelly, that's all mm-hmm. you eat. Eels. Don't forget the eel. I'm on a I'm on a jelly-based diet myself as well. Uh, so this week we are covering an interactive fiction game called Jelly, uh, written and created by Chandler Groover and Tom Linto. Uh, we are covering this game for a lot of reasons. It's it's a great game, uh, but it recently it, it came to us because it recently was one of the winners of Best in Show in the Spring Thing Interactive Fiction Competition. And we talk a lot about interactive fiction on this show, but a lot of our focus centers around the IF Comp, the yearly interactive fiction competition. Uh, and we don't do a whole lot of games outside of that competition. So I uh, thought it'd be really great to dig in on one of our favorite writers, uh, play one of their games, uh, but also maybe take an opportunity to just talk about what Spring Thing is and and what kind of games come from that. Yes, uh, Spring Thing is almost 20 years old now, which is, I think it's awesome. Spring Thing is a interactive fiction competition that, as you can guess from the name, is a yearly thing in the spring. Or the fall um, fool for all for the West, for the, that's what they call it in the Southern hemispheres. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Those, those Southern folk. Well, I think it, it, one of the things that's, that's notable about it is that it just really casts a, a nice broad net. You get a lot of entrance in it, but a different sort than you get in the IF comp. Yeah. It's kind of a little bit loosey goosey compared to IF comp, which is like ranking. You're going to, you know, at the end of it, you will be ranked. Everyone must be scored. Spring thing is much more about experimental works. It's a bit of a broader net. It's a little bit more like you are going to put your experimental work, your weird stuff in. As long as it's new, they'll take it. Yeah. It's also like less explicitly a a competition. They they do name some best in show things, but it's more just a, a festival of any kind of text-based games. And and like you said, Laura, it does get a little bit more experimental and weird, which is right up my alley. So I, I really enjoy this stuff. Yeah, it's also, it seemed more like a celebration, I think, in the community than a competition. Yeah, I think that's great, too. You know, IF Comp serves a fantastic purpose. And, and you can really, you know, at the end of an IF Comp, you could go and play those those games that rank the highest and you're going to have a, a, a great experience. And there's definitely going to be some experimental stuff in there, but the stuff that rises to the top is usually super polished. And we've actually seen some Chandler Groover games uh, come to the top of the I- IF comp in the past as well. We've seen lots of Chandler Groover games on this show, actually. Um, Chandler Groover is, I would say one of the greats of IF at this point, And he is probably the newest author of interactive fiction 
to have a really large portfolio of really well-made, really great games. So the, the, the list of people who have risen to the level that he is at is a pretty short list, and he's probably the newest name on that list. It's also very fun if you play Fall in London. Um, that is a browser-based game. He is known as like the number one guest writer for that because his weird language fits right in. Like when Emily Short does something or in Chandler Groover, everyone's like, yes, Chandler Groover's got a new one. <laughs> and none of them have yes. ever had interactive fiction experience outside of it. It's, it's just delightful to see those Venn diagrams overlap. Yeah. And when I went to dig up a, a little more information on Chandler Groover, I also found he's written two novels, which are on Kindle Unlimited. And I'm, I'm thinking about dipping into those two now. But uh, some of the selected works uh, of Chandler Groover that we have seen on this show I think my first was Toby's Nose in 2015. Uh, and this was his big breakout hit. This was a Spring Thing game also. And it is a really fun, playful title where you play as Toby, Sherlock Holmes's dog, and you help solve a mystery. And it's a really clever piece of parser-based IF where... You can basically do two things, smell things and then accuse someone, uh, if I remember correctly. <laughs> so so that's, a, that's a really good one. Uh, if you're looking to figure out what he's all about, um, Toby's Nose is a great place to start. It's a really hard to go wrong. You have an immediate in if you like Sherlock Holmes. And it's not gross like a lot of his other ones. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It is not super, super disgusting. Um, a second one that I, I enjoyed was Midnight Sword Fight. Um, that one was a another competition game, I believe. Um, and that one was characterized by like bizarre interactions with time, uh, where you could go, um, in addition to the normal directions you could move, you could go clockwise, counterclockwise, and then forward and past. Um, I don't remember the details that much about this one. It was it was played out like a, a stage play, I do recall. And there was some playing around and movement in time. And I, I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, a game that uh, freaked out everyone in IF Comp that we covered on one of our IF Comp games was Targheim. Oh, yeah. The cat game. Yeah. Uh, Targheim has been described as a cat torture simulator. Mm-hmm. Fun. Um, Good and fun. Yeah, not not particularly. <laughs> um, it allows you to choose and then roast uh, 14 cats for a magic ritual, I believe, is what happens in that. <laughs> uh, and it, you, can, you can then successfully cast this magic ritual, which I did not successfully cast because I could not complete this game. <laughs> I know he has a few others. Uh, someone on this show... I believe played the Queen's Menagerie. That might be that one seems to ring a bell. Am I yes. missing anything? I know this. You mentioned his portfolio of terrific commercial work for Fall in London, which includes uh, some sort of uh, thing about a rat catcher and something about a haunted paisley suit. Yes. So um, I'll also give a shout out to Eat Me, which is uh, like Toby's nose. There's only really one verb, which is eat. It is very good, uh, very squelchy. Um, but yes, uh, the Chandler Groover is known for doing um, there is a cricket anyone where you are uh, playing a cricket game that also might be possibly 
uh, opening some magic portal of madness. Uh, and <laughs> there's the current one is a game where you um, are possessed. You, you slowly collect pieces of a paisley suit that is sentient. And as you wear it, you increasingly take on the memories of the suit and it takes over your personality. Um, and you also are solving a murder with the memories of the suit. That sounds fantastic. It is great. So if you want to get kind of a rule-breaking sense into your IF, that's uh, Chandler Groover. And I don't want to uh, ignore Tom Lento. I just could not find a single piece of information about him um, other than that he wrote this game and has the same name as possibly like a congressman. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Oof. So, um Yeah. Well, this game yeah. itself was hard to Google for, too, because it's just called Jelly. So you really got to add in some additional additional tags if you want to find it. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned, though, it is free to play online, uh, which is which is fantastic, like the majority of interactive fiction. Uh, but what you really called out there, uh, Shannon Laura, is Chandler Groover's um, ability to take existing sort of rule sets or expectations within the, the world of interactive interactive fiction and twist them a little bit, make them a little bit different, a little more unique. Uh, the, you know, changing up the verb set that everyone's used to in an interactive fiction game or in a parser based game, uh, something he's really well known for. Uh, but in this game, he chose to use him and Tom Linto chose to use twine as their, uh, their, their uh, game system. And they do the same here. They actually uh, twist and bend twine a little bit. Uh, what was the other award this game won from Spring Theater uh, was awarded? Most Twine Abuse. Most Twine Abuse. Yeah, that sounds exactly right for a Chandler Groover game. And for context, if you don't know what that means, so Parser is the kind where you type in verbs and nouns and you you know type in actions for someone to take. And Twine is one where you take every action by clicking on words in the browser. Uh, it's just a different engine. Um, you're not necessarily like writing go west you might be typing you know clicking on a phrase that says you know go upstairs yeah i personally am uh of the those are really the two primary types of interactive fiction games out there either parser or twine or something that's very similar to twine and i typically prefer twine significantly more than a parser game though some of the my favorite parser games have been like eat me and toby's nose uh because of the simplified verb set i i kind of get lost really easily in those games so having like i can do one of two things ever uh really simplifies it for me uh but for this game they they use twine and so i guess let's talk a little bit about the mechanics of the game and really what this game is all about do you feel like we've covered enough of the setup yeah so jelly a love story um is a game the subtitle they say is young love in the lonely valley um but it opens up and you are uh, sentient jelly and you're in the jelly pits and the main premise of course um, the molten lava jelly pit and the idea is that every round you can go take a walk and go to five landmarks on your map and then you will melt and you will ooze back into your jelly pit so you know you always come back but you lose your inventory each time but as you walk around and explore um, you figure out the larger story. Um, it's looping like minute. 
Um, but it's also got a map kind of like um, uh, a dark room or something like that, an ASCII map. So you, you already can see, like, I haven't mentioned text on the page yet. <laughs> I've mentioned going for walks and clicking around um, and kind of limited turns. But that's the the kind of central loop of this is you explore the valley, you look at all these locations, and every five locations you will melt and go back to your jelly pit. From the very jump, the world of this game reminded me of the like late 1940s board game Candyland. I'm not sure oh, if that was yeah. intentional or not. I never put that together. <laughs> it it totally it totally reminds me of Candyland the IF because you know it, it and there's I I keep trying to remember the name of the weird muck creature that was in the chocolate bog Mm. in Candyland, but that in particular came to mind. But this is a, this is an example of um, kind of the unusual worlds that Chandler Groover tries to kind of create with these more story oriented pieces of interactive fiction that he creates um, where, you know, you, you have uh, something, something very, very bizarre and squelchy about the world. (laughs) Uh, that's so funny that you use Candyland though, because I, I think you're right, or at least I, I absolutely picture something similar uh, as far as like the shapes of things and the makeup of the world. But uh, the color palette of Candyland is would be far too joyous and pastel uh, for for how I kind of pictured this game. Uh, definitely felt like a lot like darker, a lot weirder, way more sa- like saturated dark colors to me, which is interesting. You know, that we that's one of the cool things about interactive fiction, right? Is that we're all just using the words to sort of paint the pictures uh, in our minds. So I definitely I see the Candyland connection now, but that's way too fun. I think this world is a lot darker than the world of Candyland. And for a sample piece of language describing the world, one of the first things after you're um, kind of born into this game, you get this phrase. <laughs> Sunlight buttering the hills, seagulls wheeling over the beach, luscious citrus brine simmering in your caldera. You are fresh, newborn, and the lonely valley is a lovely destination for a stroll. No ancient forces hungrily guarding the landscape or anything like that. <laughs> All lowercase. Just- I love the slow uh, progression of learning that you are made up entirely of jelly. And then every time you take five steps or it's like essentially visit five locations, you melt, dissolve into the uh, underground current of jelly that is just existing across this entire land, I guess, anywhere you are in this world. If you dig deep enough, you're going to find a stream of jelly uh, that all coalesces back at the jelly pits. So you can only go so far before melting into the uh, never-ending stream of jelly and returning back at the jelly pits, which is a satisfying game loop. We're definitely seeing a lot of games do this more and more. I think you know everyone thinks of Majora's Mask first, or at least I certainly do, for this sort of like the game resets and you have to start over and you have to start over and, and continue to learn and grow within the world before it completely restarts. Um, but minute was the first thing that came to my mind too, was uh, that really tight gameplay loop. You're only going to be able to do, uh, you know, in this case, five things before you, um, before you melt, but there's also going to be a lot of things that 
stop you from even getting to five moves uh, that mm-hmm. may result in you melting. And so you're constantly starting back over. Adjust- the world is changing and your understanding of the world is changing as you melt away. It's not like a minute where, you know, conceivably the whole game like everything starts over in this case you just start over at the jelly pit the world still exists yeah you you lose your inventory because you melt um but the changes you've wreaked on the landscape and in the world persist so you don't have to resolve puzzles the world will stay where you left it but you don't have any of the objects you took with you so it's reverse majora's mask yeah it is reverse majora's mask so how did you guys start in this game? So you're in the jelly pit. You're told to go for a walk. You have this ASCII map. What did you guys start doing? I went to the mountain first and uh, climbed the mountain and, and saw that the marmalade mountain had a crystallized ginger man on it. And uh, I caught some sugar. That was the snowfall. And then I wandered around a bit and uh, died. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, so you're, um, that's a pretty, that's a pretty normal experience in Jelly. Uh, I, so you're presented with an ASCII map and, uh, you know, there's a, there's in blue text, a bunch of words like frog temple, mountain, uh, shipwreck, things like that. Uh, and so I decided to take the approach I take to, you know, most games like this, like, you know, what's the methodical approach. So I, you know, I clicked on the very top one. Uh, which was the Frog Temple, um, realized I was not going to be able to gain access to the Frog Temple because uh, its guards were hungry and I had no way of feeding them. Uh, and uh, was able to walk away from that, went to the mountain next, uh, walked around for a little while and then died. So, uh, And then I would just respawn and I made my way. I tried to visit every location before trying to do anything else. I wanted to understand because as you're playing, you know, you realize like, okay, every location has some sort of like unlockable moment. Right. And so I was just trying to understand like, what are all the, what are all the things that are here? You don't even really know what you're supposed to be doing in the game. Right. Mm -hmm. It just says, take a stroll. So I was like, all right, I'll stroll and visit everywhere. And and you uh, dream about that. a picnic and it's like eventually it would be nice to take a picnic. <laughs> yeah. And there's a there's a place on the on the map that is a like picnic spot. And when you go there it's like this would be a great place for a picnic. Like, <laughs> eventually. Cool. <laughs> Once you get great. your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. Uh yeah, so um yeah, that's how I started. How did you start, Laura? Um I started by actually killing myself like 3 times in a row. Um when I'm on a looping game like this, I think I have the tendency to do all of the dangerous actions immediately to wonder what would happen because I know I'm going to reset. So I think I immediately like threw myself into a fire pit and like fed myself to a mermaid. And then I like, you know, faced off against a dangerous creature. I immediately died three times. I didn't actually melt uh, properly for a while. And of course you, I say die, but I went back to the beginning. Yeah, there are a lot of things that want to eat jelly in this Yeah, in this world. And, and sometimes it's helpful that you're delicious and sometimes it's just, oh, okay, cool. Now I know what happens if you throw yourself into a fire pit. Um, turns out you burn. <laughs> turns out. But uh, I think what really broke this game open for me was once I... Um, 
I, I think I did stuff out of order because I unlocked the frog temple very early um, before I started talking to the storyteller, which I think is not normal. I have a feeling I was supposed to go to the storyteller first. The merry droll teller. You the mean. merry droll teller. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's little hints, you know, really early on that like, that this game is going to require you to go around and collect items, right? So there's a storyteller right there in the middle of the map. Uh, you go to him and he'll sell you, you know, sell, he'll trade you a short story for a shell, a medium length story for like a shell and some ash, and then a longer story for three other items that I don't have a screenshot of in front of me right now. And so it, you can, like, that was the early indicator to me too that uh, you're you're going to be collecting items in each of these areas in order to unlock next steps in this game. Yeah. For his long tail, he wants ash, sugar, and an eel. And, and what's interesting though, so we've already talked about is you only have five steps, right? You can only visit five places. And so if going to this place is one of those in order to accomplish getting all of those things, you realize you're going to have to, you know, uncover the exact right route to collect these items and visit this person with all of the, the things in, in uh, you know, in your jelly, jelly hands <laughs> uh, or belly sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Or belly. <laughs> well, a lot of interactive fiction requires you to be drawing a map on a piece of paper while you play, especially twine games, because you have to, see where you're going. I, we covered Counterfeit Monkey a while back, and they actually have a map, which was spectacular. Um, having the map made it a lot easier to... The problem was not where things are in the world. The problem was, how can I get all of these things to the location I need in five moves? <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting It's an interesting puzzle, um, and it's really, really satisfying to unlock those things just like it was in minute to accomplish like whatever ridiculous task you needed to do in the one minute. Uh, this game is really satisfying when you uh, ace the exact right <laughs> amount of moves to accomplish the thing that you need to accomplish. Laura, you said that this game, uh, that unlike a lot of IF, uh, which requires you to keep a map on a, on a, pa- uh, on a piece of paper, uh, this game really doesn't. And I actually think that may be one of the, hallmarks of Chandler Groover that I really like uh, is that his fiction, his IF tends to be really light on the compass directions, if that makes sense. Like, you know, there's a lot of stuff, including early stuff like Toby's nose. Uh, you did a lot of exploring, but you did it through a alternate set of verbs. Yeah. And here you do it through a non, well, pretty much a non-standard, but very easy to use navigation system the little map yeah i will say though that taking screenshots was very helpful in this game but it's pretty obvious when someone is telling you something that you should take a screenshot of for later (laughs) like i i I, I think it's easy to know when you're getting a clue (laughs) well yeah because sometimes they're they're like i want an eel or i want ink from a tadpole for this. Yes. <laughs> you're like, Which I actually like. Let's be real. Yeah. Like He wasn't like, hmm, it would be great to have ink. Then I have to be like, uh, maybe a tadpole. Like, I wouldn't have known that. No, never. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think the game ever. It's not super challenging what you're supposed to do, although it's a little obscured. Most of the 
stuff is how you're supposed to do it, right? How do I mm-hmm. balance all of it, these exact moves at the exact right time to do these things? Sequencing is so important. Here. Yeah. yeah. So, cause it, it, especially like you, you, we brought up early on um, the, the droll teller. So it's not a, it's not a surprise to mention that, you know, that one requires for the long story, a, um, an eel sugar and ash, um, and in order to get the ash, you have to throw something into a fire, which I won't spoil mm-hmm. too much about what what's going on there. Uh, but that's four that's four stops now. You have to pick up something. That's, ba- that's basically four stops. So you basically are locked into doing that in one run. You compared it to minute, Nate, and in minute, I found myself a lot of times thinking, "Well, how many things can I get done in this one minute run?" Right, but here you struggle to complete anything if you don't set out from the jelly pits with a plan. 100%. You have to, this is the run where I'm doing this. This is the run where I'm going to go talk to this person. Like you kind of have to have an idea of what you're trying to do um, or or, or you're just going to (laughs) melt, which is fine. I mean, exploring and melting is fine, but if you're going to often go to your fourth destination, unlock something, melt and then decide that's where you want to go first the next round like it's just one of those games you're gonna um there's a part of this um that kind of will break the world open even more and once you start doing that the dedicated runs are more important i say runs like as if it's an hour like again it's five stops it could be about a minute and a half if you if you're just running around the map yeah, well, especially once you know the text of the of the mm-hmm. places pretty well, and you're just visiting that place to click the 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 you know word that you know you need to click to accomplish the thing. So uh, you know, Shane mentioned that you get you know you can go and get some sugar from this mountain, and so once you know I need sugar, it's not like I'm going and clicking reading all the text every single time. I know the three clicks that I need to click to visit the place, grab the sugar, and then I can move on. And so once you really get going, you can you can pass through some of this stuff really, really quick. Yeah, and it makes the new text even more exciting because you've yeah. gotten a new area and you you kind of sit back and it slows down the pace. You you get some... Uh, some of my favorite text uh, that I really wish I could read is after you finished um, a big unlock, there's really weird stuff that happens and very funny stuff too. This game has a big sense of humor. Yeah. I, I, it's always tricky with interactive fiction to talk about on the podcast because all you really have is the text, but I, I do think it's uh, important to call it just how funny and weird this game is. It, it's enjoyable to read the whole time while also trying to figure out the the puzzles. Like for example, uh, there's a, sometimes when you have um, bad choices those ones that i mentioned that kill you outright you know one of the options will be try no- absolutely nothing of the sort <laughs> it will be no it, it's it's got a lot more juice to it it's got a, a lot more mm-hmm. flavor to every piece of text and every time when you melt just the description of kind of what happens to you how you end up back into the the underground jelly stream uh is often very funny uh as you all keep using the words squelchy, it's a little squelchy, <laughs> uh, you know, what it's like to be consumed by something and still make it down into the jelly stream underneath the ground is pretty funny. 
uh, and very strange. And you're also getting bits and pieces of ancient history of the valley throughout. So it's not just what you need to do next. You're also getting hints at this larger story. Um, and the more you play, the more of that you learn. Yeah, there are other characters in this world, right? We've already talked about the uh, droll uh, give her whatever it was. Droll and Mary Droll Teller. <laughs> Mary Droll Teller. Uh, there are other characters that we won't really talk about that exist in this world and can change as you interact with things. Um, I do think we should talk about, uh, you know, this game was, you know, given the, the twine abuse tag or award from Spring Thing. So why do you think it was given that tag? If it had just had this good of an inventory system and the repeat mechanic, it could have gotten the best time of use. But I think what really uh, kicks us into gear is how they use the map. And this is a mid-game spoiler. If you want to be completely, you know, we do recommend this game. If you want to be completely free, don't into this. But there's a point at which you realize that the way you walk around the map can also have an effect. I think that's the vaguest I can be with actually saying what it is and that i think is why it won the award well and this game introduces a visual component that we haven't that i haven't seen at least before in how the map works too because you have the uh you mentioned a dark room earlier and i Mm -hmm. think that's you know where this kind of stands out too is you have this ascii map and if you are clicking let's say you're you started the jelly pits at the bottom and you want to go to the mountain at the top when you click it the ASCII, you know, what would normally be like maybe just a dash or like a line representing just flat area all turns into little zeros. And so you can actually yeah. see your character. Your like, jelly footprints. Yeah. <laughs> you you leave a trail of jelly yeah. behind you as you go. Yeah, and that's part of the melting. It's the idea that like your little jelly footprints are taking part of you away. Uh, it's a it's a really nice touch just to have that interesting visual element on top of as you've said you know what it what it can ultimately impact. But I I really appreciate that. It's kind of fun. It took me a minute to realize that's exactly what was happening too. Is like you know ASCII is is it's good at representing like broad ideas, right? But maybe not great at specific. So whenever you click it, like, is that literally me walking from space to space? Like, that's really cool. Hadn't really seen that in a twine game before. Uh, So I think that is also part of what led to this being a twine abuse. I'd love to see how people just twist and break just a bit, you know, plain text uh, on a screen to, to represent or to visualize interesting ideas. Yeah, the three ribbons this one, other than um, one of the best in shows, were most original, most exceptional story-wise navigation, and best twine abuse. So it's all right there. I think that's pretty fair. So I think we've said what we can about this game without spoiling it too much. Um, But I will say one thing I didn't know until after I finished. Uh, You can show objects to the mermaid and she'll tell you hints. I didn't know that. Um, I kind of wish I had. Um, So just an FYI, once you become friends with the mermaid, you can bring... They are pretty oblique hints. Oh, they are? So that's actually not as useful as I think it would be? Not as useful as you would think. Yeah, the mermaid is not a real font of actionable information. Okay, never mind. (laughs) So I I was like, oh, no, I missed this huge in-game hint mention. So now I feel better about myself. That's all right. But she's pretty and enormous. So, yeah, I I do think we've 
we've covered just about everything we can uh, before we really get into mechanic spoilers, puzzle spoilers, or just story spoilers, uh, which we are going to do a spoiler break at the end of the episode and really dig into some of the to some of the other things that this game does, as well as just more specific. So uh, I think we all agree that this game is absolutely worth playing. Uh, again, it's free. Uh, you can complete it. Would you say, Laura, an hour and a half, two hours? Hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay. I yeah, think I so- did two hours with a break. So nice. Right in the wheelhouse of a short game game. And also, I think the perfect length for an interactive fiction game uh, that is using Twine. Uh, so, highly, highly recommend this game. Um, but before we do uh, all of the wrap up, we're going to bring back a segment we haven't done for a couple of weeks. Uh, so, Shane, what's making you happy this week? This week, I read a fantasy novel that I'm going to recommend to all of you. Um, The book is a first in terms of its, I guess it's her first fantasy novel. Although um, for fans of Anne Leckie, uh, they might know her from the ancillary series of science fiction novels. Um, It's not also, it's also not her very first piece of fantasy writing. Um, She's done a fair amount of fantasy writing, uh, but only in the short form. But um, this is this is a novel that, uh, the novel is called, I should say, say the name of the novel, The Raven Tower by Anne Leckie. There's a, quite a few things that I could share with you about the, about the book to get you interested. But first, novels by this author, she likes to play around with different perspectives and different kinds of narrator. And she really set an interesting challenge for herself in this one, in that the narrator of the book is a rock. In fact, it is a, um, not just a rock, but a God who inhabits a large rock, uh, that has been sitting on a hill since the beginning of time. Uh, so that is your your narrator character. The actual humans of the story, this book is a retelling of the tale of Hamlet. Hmm. So the uh, all the main characters have some kind of analog in the story of Hamlet. So that gives, gives you kind of an immediate hook uh, if you know the story of Hamlet. And I think probably most people who've gone to high school know the story of Hamlet. Or the Lion King. <laughs> Or the Lion King. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so in this in this world, this is a fantasy world where gods are uh, very obviously present and they're everywhere, uh, but they come in various sizes and and levels of power. Um, there are gods that might be um, tremendously powerful and slow to act. Uh, and obscure, and there are gods that might have uh, uh, be hyper specialized in the creation of stone tools, um, and 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 are someone who is where their their followers contact them only for this sort of thing. The narrator character in this book is a god who goes by the name of the who, whose followers call her the strength and patience of the hill, and. Strength and patience is 
uh, story, which is kind of interwoven with the Hamlet narrative, is really fascinating. The, the world that Anne Leckie creates in this book is one where gods speak to each other and to humans, and uh, the words of gods have power. Gods can say things, gods can only speak the truth. Hmm. And if a god attempts to say something that is not true, then that god's power must make it true, or the god, you know, and if the god doesn't have enough power to make that thing true, uh, then that god may have just killed themselves uh, in doing so. So the gods are quite careful about what agreements they make or what predictions they make uh, about the future. And um, strength and patience is a is a god who, over the kind of many hundreds or th- the many I guess millions of years that her story covers, and over the lifetimes that the Hamlet story that she's sort of narrating uh, covers, uh, has had to be very very careful about what she says. And so you have this book that's a very interesting mix of an unreliable narrator because the narrator. Um, does not want to say certain things, even though they might be true, and and doesn't, um, and sometimes wants to lie through omission, um, as do some of the other gods in the story. Uh, but also a, a narrator that cannot lie, and there it, therefore is sort of a reliable narrator. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of uh, really interesting writing there. I found myself wanting to read the. I, I read this book twice in a row. I got to the end of it. And I basically just started it over That's and awesome. uh, I enjoyed it even more the second time through. I almost never do that with books. Um, so if you're a fantasy fan, I totally can't recommend The Raven Tower enough. That's that pretty awesome. awesome. Uh, I, the endorsement of I finished this book and reread it immediately is is pretty pretty good, right? Uh, I I I English major. I read a ton. I can never imagine doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's not like like it had a total twist ending or anything. You, you'll kind of see the ending coming, but you 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 still want. I still wanted to go back and reread it just because uh, I I I wanted to recontextualize some of the stuff that happened early on in the book, especially. Yeah, so that's great. I definitely really liked it. Awesome. Well, thanks for that recommendation. I'll have to check it out. Uh, Laura, what's making you happy this week? Well, I feel bad because I I wish I could recommend a book. I've been reading uh, more and more light fiction because I've found my tolerance for um, very heady intellectual things is is dropped. There's been a couple times (laughs) I've started books and been like, this is a fantastic book. I'm going to save it for when my brain is in a better spot. Um, that said, I did just read a book called uh, The Art of Poison um, that is all, it's a historical book. It's not a fiction book at all. It's a, um, just about the various ways that people thought they were being poisoned in the past by their enemies and generally they were being poisoned by their doctors or their clothes or their wallpaper or the color green, which was just poisonous for like 50 years. Um, green dye was full of arsenic. Um, it's the kind of book where you can read a chapter at a time, come up with two or three interesting anecdotes you've never heard about history before, and then put it down. Um because so many people thought they were poisoned. Napoleon, Mozart, um, you know, various women who died in childbirth, like seemingly every French mistress in history thought they were poisoned. Um, And 
after a beginning where they talk about um, all of, you know, poison throughout history and like various uh, cosmetic and, you know, medicinal poisons then the last half of the book is basically this is a person who people think died of poison did they (laughs) it goes through their life how they died um the contemporary autopsy and then if possible a modern autopsy um and there's been a couple cases where someone thought they were poisoned and it was like nope they were sick but then the doctor poisoned them (laughs) great oh no cool Um, like (laughs) This kind of this kind of reminds me of a, a book that I was just reading um, called "The Mosquito: A Human History of Our Deadliest Predator." Oh yeah, um, I I really I really liked the first like two thirds of it, but it started to become a, a little bit of a snoozer for me because it uh it it just every chapter would be like here is here is the life story of Alexander the Great. Um, towards the end, he he was bitten by a mosquito and died of malaria. <laughs> right, but and these would be like all... this is King Ludwig the Second. Um, he was super gay and obsessed with Wagner and built a bunch of castles and then was deposed and then he managed to drown in waist high water. Was it poisoning? And you're like, I wish I knew that story. That's really <laughs> like interesting. An 18 year old hot king who was obsessed with Wagner and Wagner was having none of it. Um who was 50 at the time and not handsome. Like, that's the kind of story. It's it's that kind of, like, breezy history. It, it's not something you gulp down. You take this in bits. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's the royal art of poison, filthy palaces, fatal cosmetics, deadly medicine, and murder most foul, which is hell of a subtitle. That is a wonderful that's title. Uh, that sounds fantastic, Laura. I'm going to have to check that out. I uh, It's just you know, historical gossip. That- who doesn't like gossip? Right. Whenever I don't feel well, I, uh, until recently, always just assumed first that I had been poisoned. Uh, so maybe 100%. this book, maybe this book will uh, will help. Now I wake up not feeling well, and of course I think, do I have coronavirus? And then I think, have I been poisoned? Right. And then I and then I think, could be both. No, it's just my allergies <laughs> that I have every morning. So let's add another layer onto that. Yeah, if you've got a, a, a sensitive stomach, I will say that <laughs> it does not shy away from the details of the horrible things that people uh, did in the name of medicine and also the horrible ways people died in the past. So if that uh, is not up your alley, maybe stay away from the book about uh, what poison does to your body. Yeah, I think that's, that's, yeah, it's that's a, a fair, fair warning. It's a fair warning. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that, Laura. Uh, for myself, I will say that I have been playing a lot of chess lately. Ooh. I've been playing on an app called Social Chess. A buddy of mine who, uh, in the long, long ago, uh, would, uh, when we were able to, um, you know, be in the physical presence of other humans, uh, we would play chess from time to time, and but we never played really online. And this app is very, very easy to use, uh, easy to have multiple games going at the same time. And you can play chess, you know, completely asynchronously. It has up to five days per move. So if you want, you can play like a super slow game where everyone's really taking their time. Or you can uh, just, you know, you, there's clearly times where we're both just sitting on the couch on our phones, you know, because we're both making moves in like, 
15 seconds apart from each other. Uh, but either way, it's really, really smooth. Uh, I am not great at chess, but it's a game that I've loved for a long time. Uh, so it's been fun to get back into it. I haven't really played it for a long time. And so I will extend out to our listeners, if anyone is interested in playing chess, uh, the app is called Social Chess, and you can find me on there. Uh, I'd love to play with you. Uh, my name on there is Nate H four four two two. So it's free. Make an account, uh, challenge me to a game, and you will likely beat me. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. So uh, yeah, had, had either of you have you either of you played chess very much? Not since not a ton. That's like I, when I was younger. Um, I played it at school. Um, because it was one of the good indoor recess activities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and as an adult, I've played it a few times, uh, probably less than once a year. And yeah, uh, again, I hadn't played much for a long time. I played a lot in like high school and whatnot. But uh, interestingly, St. Louis, uh, where I live, is like the chess capital of the world. We have this chess museum. Really? Uh, yeah, it's a huge part of like the chess world exists in St. Louis. Uh, there's a lot of the tournaments are hosted here. Um, a lot of people who are just in the chess world, uh, you know, are, are around here, uh, mostly because of the museum and, and what gets hosted here. But even when I was going online just to try to like read some chess strategies and like a ton of the stuff is produced by the St. Louis chess club. And it's just, it's a, I, I don't personally have any uh, plans on getting involved in like the local community, but it's, it's a big part of, uh, you know, St. Louis, uh, which I just think is interesting. And and most people who don't play chess wouldn't know that. And Leckie, author of the Ravens tower also lives in St. Louis. That's correct. So this is a St. Louis heavy. What's making me happy. Um, Awesome. Well, I, uh, you know, thank you all for listening to this episode on uh, Jelly. We are going to do a spoiler break here in a moment, but uh, before we get to that, when we get to our, our standard sort of credits here at the end, uh, if you want to see any of the episodes from our back catalog or leave us a comment, make a game recommendation, anything like that, and reach out to us directly, you can find our website at theshortgame.net. There's a contact form. Uh, it comes directly to us. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore short game. Uh, members of our Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash the short game can join us on our discord where we are having fantastic conversations. Uh, the, the community continues to grow and it's been so much fun uh, getting to talk to everyone. And we get a lot of our game recommendations and just, we really flesh out some of the conversations that we're going to have on this show in the discord. So we'd love to have you be a part of that. Uh, members who join it just a dollar a month can become a part of our discord. Uh, Shane, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at 8BitShane. And Laura, how about yourself? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And you can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. Uh, so without further ado, here is your spoiler break. Uh, yeah, so I would have a spoiler break because I want to know um, what really awesome things happened to you. I, I really wanted to do a spoiler break because I wanted to talk about the smoking frogs. Um, I, I love that after you do the temple ritual, the frogs literally just like have a cigarette break, look at their watches and decide to go out for a drink. And that was one of the funniest things in this game. 
for me. How about you guys? Favorite moments? I did really just like the mermaid in general. Like uh, th- there was not a lot I found to be learned from her, her discussions of the various items you bring her. Uh, but it does kind of build the world. And it also, the thing that I was sold on the mermaid instantly when you approach her and one of the things you can do is just hurl yourself into her mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she eats you and then you return and continue your conversation. And then she's like, I like you. <laughs> yeah. She likes you after that. She'll give you eels. Just all the things that you are, it's like clearly this is going to kill me, but mm-hmm. I I want to do it because I want to see how it goes. Uh, I really liked the shipwreck. Uh, the captain and the the skeletons at the uh, at the bottom of the ship that you know uh, eat you, uh, which is funny. Skeletons eating a jelly monster, um, and then every description of uh, like when you throw yourself into the furnace, how your ashes at the bottom of the furnace still make their way down into the jelly stream was really really funny to me. Yeah, I, I love that. Even when you you die pointlessly, that you. Sometimes returning to that actually is a puzzle to solve. <laughs> um, like, uh, you know, putting yourself in the mermaid's mouth ends up being uh, necessary. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know that uh, you guys didn't uh, finish this, but uh, mermaid is in game, by the way. You and that mermaid definitely take a picnic together at the end. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for the people still with us, with us um, who have come back to this episode for the spoiler break, only Laura actually completed the full game. Shane almost did, and I made it a little less far than that. Um, but Laura, I know you wanted to talk about uh, digging on the channels piece of it a little yeah. bit more. So um, how does that yeah. really break the game and or not break the game, but open up the game and uh, and what kind of you know, walk us through that. So a lot of games have point and click bits and a lot of interactive fiction have like get piece of inventory, go use inventory piece here. Um, you know, even in really inventive ways. Um, but that, like pick up inventory item, go here, use inventory item, very common in IF games. Um, what I thought was really interesting here is those jelly footprints you leave aren't just helping you track where you've been. They're also creating patterns on the map. And the more you learn, um, they call them channels. And the idea is that you are carving channels in the landscape, which are kind of like ley lines and like Celtic mythology, Wales, Scotland. Somewhere in that area, there's mythology around uh, (laughs) mystical ley lines of energy. Um, Sorry, everyone who read The Raven King, I can't remember. Welsh is what that's from there. But um, the idea that lines of power, that you're tracing these around the landscape and then different things happen. So you realize in your five moves that there are places where there are five-step circuits that you can go. And once you get to that fifth spot, something crazy will happen on the map. And really weird stuff happens. Um, But the first time I finished... Uh, when you go to the temple, for me, that was the first map I saw. Um, you see, uh, you unlock the temple and you get inside and you can see um, like a something that looks very much like the map on the wall. And if you trace that line, then uh, suddenly um, you're going to uh, 
I think that one is the one that like unlocks a monolith in the jelly pit. <laughs> um, but like all of these do really crazy things to the landscape and change it. And and to me, that was what I um, was missing is like the, the idea that it's not just collecting items. It's also the path you travel really brought this home that like the mechanic of leaving jelly footprints and melting and like it, it felt almost like you're sacrificing part of yourself to reboot the game. Um, plus it unlocked new stuff each time, which is always appreciated in a game like this. There are four paths um, to unlock to finish the game. And the fourth is kind of the final ending. Yeah. That's such an interesting mechanic. Again, using that visual representation of the map that really looks like a novelty at first it's like, oh, that's fun. And but then, you know, as you're learning that you actually have to utilize the paths that you're going, that it's not just there to be like, hey, look, we made a map in this interactive fiction game. Uh, but actually, it means something is really, really cool. And what I really liked is they make the maps a little more challenging each time. Like the first one's just a picture. <laughs> if you like take the jump and do it. Another one is like a verbal thing like you get the story and then you you go on and he literally is like you're ready go go try this like go try this now walk this path um that was the first one i i actually think i did that one first before i did the frog temple map but then you start having to piece two clues together and then three clues together and and so it gets like a little bit harder each time to to make a map um to put it together but i think the concept just really changed the way i thought about this game um Again, all the writing's there, but um, you feel like you're just running around a map doing something, and then suddenly, like, it gets overtaken by text, and it's it's one of the most exciting moments in an IF comp game. Like, I didn't feel smart, because I knew it was the right answer, but it's like unlocking a key and opening a door. It's fairly cool. One of the things I'll say for the game is it has a really good uh, hint text file. I always appreciate that on IF, because I easily get stuck on puzzles. Um, and I didn't have to reference it much here. I referenced it once, and then I think I actually also asked a question of you, Laura, on the Discord. Um, and this is this is a good one in the sense that it it gives you hints first about all the locations, uh, raising questions about what you might do, then gives you hints about the routes and routes, uh, and then gives you outright solutions if you wish. So. Uh, you can prevent yourself from being totally stuck in this game. Yeah, and then the, like the routes and routes section will be like, this is how you get clues. Like this person will give you one clue. This person will give you two clues. <laughs> like go here if you want three clues. Um, so you can just keep reading down in a section, and I'll just get more specific, which I really like. Um, I think that especially if you have gotten a certain amount into this game, and then you pause for some reason, and you need to kind of redo your routes. This is, there's no shame ever in looking at a hint file, but this is a safe one. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah, so really, I just want to talk about the roots. I feel like talking about them too much beforehand is a bit of a spoiler because, yeah. but it's also important to know why it's special about the game. Yeah, the first one I wound up finding was the one in the Frog Temple. Mm. Uh, is that the first one you found? I did the one from the third story first. I don't know why I did it so late. I unlocked almost everything before I started doing roots, <laughs> which I don't think is the way you're supposed to play it, but um, uh, it's it's how I did it. 
Um, well, I think it's a. I think that's a, actually an interesting thing to call out, though, because there are a lot of different pieces going on in this game, and for you to, uh, you know, feel like you went out of order, but still be able to solve the entire game and not really have any problems from that isn't is a credit to the design of the game that leaves yeah, everything. It's open. completely nonlinear. Um, you don't, except for like you need a root. You know, you need to have, you know. The tree of heaven has to grow so you can get a goblin fruit. Like, there's stuff that is gated. Like, you can't um, do the last puzzle until you've gotten some of the earlier ones. But, like, also, you can, there's plenty of stuff to figure out in the game before you even touch a channel. Yeah, that's, I spent quite a lot of time going around to these different places, finding these different items, and sort of cataloging where you could get everything. Um, and had not even begun to really dig into the channel part before we started recording. So there's still a fair amount of game that doesn't that happens before you get to any of this. Yeah, and it moves. The more you've done beforehand, the faster the channels move because you do something and unlock something, you immediately know how to use it. So it doesn't going quote out of order didn't make the game take longer, in my opinion. Awesome. Well, I'm glad we had a spoiler break just to really dig into some of these more interesting, uh, deeper topics of the game. Uh, with any game that's basically a big puzzle, uh, it can be... Uh, we, we, we really try to avoid just giving away everything. So uh, thank you all for sticking through to the spoiler break. Hopefully you enjoyed the game. Um, and I guess that's everything for this episode. So thank you, everyone. And... Uh, you uh go uh have a have a jelly sandwich yes definitely that is how we should end it every let's just end every episode telling people to go eat a jelly sandwich i think we should new sign off new sign off thank you for listening to the short game go eat a jelly sandwich glorp